I'm in an elf costume. So like. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the first bonus episode of Season 3 of the Rasafari Podcast. Now, if you've listened to my season preview already, then you know that one of my goals for this season is to take some time and do some bonus episodes where I talk to people not involved in the animal industry. Instead, my goal is to uh, maybe take out some of the safari in the title and add a little more of the Rossi as I talk to people who are involved in um, things that I'm interested in and, you know, projects and, and the arts and such that uh, that that kind of come from the other side of my world, you know, where I'm a professional drummer and actor and writer and music director and arranger and all those things. And so, uh, yeah, this is the first one of those episodes, and I am ridiculously glad that it worked out. Uh, today, I am going to be talking to Haley Holmes, who played Drama Girl on Better Call Saul, starting with season two, also spent some time on Glee, had an episode of Scrubs under her belt, all kinds of stuff. Um, we, we talk a lot about Better Call Saul and her, her role in that show, but this is more a deep dive on Haley and her career and also like what it's like to actually be a working actor. We talk about what it's like to get that call and find out that you're going to be on an amazing television show and um, what it's like behind the scenes. What what happens when you go and have to work with these these famous people, these celebrities. And, you know, if you happen to be a fan of the show already when you get booked on it, as Haley was, um, what that feels like. You know, can you imagine you suddenly find yourself sitting down with Bob Odenkirk? Ah, I can't. Okay, yes, I can. And I want to do it, and I want to do it now. But um, it's really cool to talk about kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens in this career. And uh, Haley is just awesome. We had a lot of fun. Um, those of you who listen regularly know that we end each episode with a certain type of story. And uh, Haley came very prepared, not only joins that family, but um, we talked about the concept so much that I end up using every single stinger I've collected in two years of this podcast while talking about it. And uh, if you're a Better Call Saul fan or a Haley Holmes fan and don't know what I'm talking about, just wait till we get to the end of the episode. You're going you're gonna to have a good chuckle. Um, yeah, but hey, for all of my regular listeners, okay, listen, even if you're not a Better Call Saul fan, I think you are going to love this episode, right? It's it's going behind the scenes and, and talking about the stuff that we don't think about as zoo fans or conservation fans that make Ross Safari uh, fans kind of intrigued, and that's exactly what we do here. So um, without further ado, let me bring you my interview with Haley Holmes. Of Better Call Saul. 
next week. Very exciting. Awesome. (laughs) So why don't we start off by you, you telling my listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. Hi, um, I'm Haley Holmes, and um, I'm an actress out here in Los Angeles. Um, So maybe a little different from the bird and animal information (laughs) that you're used to. Um, But hi, I'm very excited to be on here with John. And a little bit about myself. I'm on this show called Better Call Saul. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and we're in the final season this year, but I play a character who I literally just got a name, um, in the training videos, um, Sherry, it was a big day, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it's kind of been a thing all throughout ever since I started on the show in season two to just keep it drama girl, very plain, simple. We were like camera guy, sound guy and drama girl. Um, which I actually feel like allowed us to kind of lean into lots of different characters instead of being defined by like a specific name. But I know people were hoping for a name. So we finally got them, which is cool. <laughs> I, was really, I was really excited when I watched those I know I was too. When we read it, we were like, oh, what? Do we have a name? We've made it. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. So, um, you've been doing the acty thing like forever, And, um, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about like your career and your move out to LA and all that stuff. Oh, for sure. Okay. So I'm also at the very beginning. Um, I mean, it's a good place to start. I'm from Indiana originally. So like very small town cornfields all around. And I should have been playing sports, but I just loved the arts. So I like did a dance class and we had our first recital and I was like three And after we finished the dance, which I'm sure was just like step touching, (laughs) the audience applauded and I loved it. I like wouldn't leave the stage. Like teachers (laughs) had to keep coming on and like carrying me off. I was like, what is this? It's amazing. Um, So I then like did as much as I could in the small market of Covington, Indiana, um, <laughs> which was like community theater and lots of just fun dance classes and things like that. And then one of my friends' mom was coming out here for pilot season, um, this lovely thing that happens in January. And so I begged, begged, begged if I could come as well. And we stayed at this Oakwood apartment. And the goal was we were just going to come for about two or three months. But I just ended up getting an agent and a manager and things started to kind of like click away and ended up staying. So it's kind of been a little something like that. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, Did you spend a lot of time like developing your craft? Do you, you know, are you one of, are you method? Tell me about like, (laughs) you know, all that (laughs) stuff. I'm so method. Um, (laughs) Yes, I actually, it's like, I took classes at this studio called Cynthia Baines Young Actors Studio. Um, and when I first moved out here, I took classes from literally everybody because I knew nothing about acting. I came from theater. And so in theater, it's big and bold and really performing to the people sitting in like the highest balcony. And then I did my first like TV class and they were like, can you bring it down? Can you not be so like bold in every choice. And so then I um, really had to actually hone it. 
And at Cynthia's, it was great because we followed this like Uta Hagen six step method where you really break down your character as like, who am I? What am I thinking? What I have for breakfast this morning? All of those. And that resonated really well with me. So I wouldn't say it's method per se. Um, everyone on set doesn't need to address me by my name or anything. Um, Especially when I, you don't have one for many when years. When I don't have one. <laughs> drama get here (laughs) yeah no nothing like that um but I do really enjoy creating the character and stepping I think that's why I'm drawn to acting more than anything is stepping out of your own shoes it's like an advanced pretend and I love it that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a, I'm a musician. I'm a drummer. Um, and I got into acting, uh, doing shows because I do theater. Um, I'm uh-huh. the music supervisor of the national tour of Million Dollar Quartet. So I'm playing a drummer on stage. And <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, yeah. you know, for the last seven or so years, I've been acting, even though I just got into it as a musician. But I found the same thing. And it's the thing that I thought was the most I guess interesting about the art to me is like so I play a guy who's a real guy. Uh he he's passed away recently. His name's Fluke Holland. He was Johnny Cash's drummer. Um cool. Yeah, super cool. And I got to meet him multiple times. We like became friends before he passed and stuff. I I did my research. I have met these people, you know. And yeah. I have thoughts about every single decision that I make in that show, despite the fact that I only have a few lines and I'm literally just there to blend in and play the drums but if i'm looking at the piano player there's a reason i'm looking at him and there's you know Mm -hmm. and and even i've done the show with so many different casts um because you know when you do theater you do the same show with different people people all the time and it develops differently there's one jerry lee Mm -hmm. that i'm friends with there's one jerry lee that i hate when we do the show together (laughs) and you know it's informed by how they're acting but i never knew that was a thing and um for years i was like i'm not an actor and now i'm kind of like oh if i've spent that long thinking about it you might be an an actor yeah no that's like the best part is all the subtext and the thoughts that you're having even when you're not speaking because that's kind of um where sometimes the best acting can come across because you're really solidifying yourself in that place um which then who knows where it does it goes off from there but yeah that's so cool i also love that you're a drummer oh yeah i i saw the movie whiplash and i thought i could become a drummer from that it no i got involved in a show it didn't it did not pan out (laughs) i I don't know if i'm impressed or intimidated by the fact that whiplash is what you made you think oh i could be a drummer (laughs) that was that was not a good path to drumming that that he was on (laughs) i no it was not that's why everyone they're like that was a very traumatizing movie what were you thinking i was like i don't know but something about that like dedication he was gonna work at it no matter what and then i walked out of there and i thought I'm be a drummer. And I got drumsticks and I carried them around everywhere. Um, as if that was somehow through osmosis, I was going to become a drummer. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think most of us did that. Like when I was a kid and got serious about drumming, it was in middle school. And I saw a video of the Beatles on Sullivan. And I was like, that, that. And that was uh-huh. all I cared about. Um, uh-huh. From that point on, I've never had another like dream or goal. And um, I did the same thing. I had sticks that I would keep in my parents' car and like they would go shopping and I'd be like, can I stay in the car? And I, would pop, 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 you know, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And like I, I wear Doc Martens a lot because I just like, I don't know, they're very comfortable. Yeah. And so in my little brain, when I would listen to music and like drum on my docks, I really thought I was like Ringo Starr. Um, <laughs> so 
there was this like disconnect that when I actually sat down at a drum kit, I realized, oh my gosh, this is so hard. So like applause to you. <laughs> it's a hard, there's so much happening in your brain at once that I feel like nobody actually um, talks about. Like drummers, you're just like, yeah, they're really cool. They're in the back. They hit these riffs. But I'm like, no, they're doing like three things at the same time on different beats. It's so cool. Yeah, I uh, I have these moments on stage where like if something's going wrong, I'm playing, but I'm also like assessing what's going wrong and trying to mouth to the guys on stage like how to fix it or whatever. And it's that thing where if I ever for a moment actually think about what I'm doing, it's all going to go to hell. I just yeah. have to like my hands have to keep doing their thing and I'll check mm-hmm. it occasionally. But like if I'm ever like, wait, how am I playing four different things and talking and watching? Then all of a sudden I can feel everything like start to slip. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nope. 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 The muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. So since you did theater, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, some of your favorite stuff that you did when you were doing theater. Ooh, okay. Um, I mean, my first play I did was this little one called The Wizard of Oz. Um, and I wanted Dorothy so bad. I was um, in a small town. You kind of just know everybody. Right. So the one lady who teaches voice lessons, I went there as much as I could. I'd ride my bike after school. I just wanted to play Dorothy. And um, then when the cast list came out, I didn't get Dorothy. I got the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, Great part. But um, in my brain, that was not Dorothy. So I remember crying and I went to (laughs) Maybe Drama Girl is the right name for you. Yeah, it's the right thing. It's just so traumatic over everything. Uh, Like, I just wanted to say I wasn't Dorothy. And my parents were like, well, you should go and talk to the teacher because they're definitely, um, my dad's a lawyer. So they're just um, by the book kind of people. They're not going to like push in any direction. And, um, And so I did. I talked to her and she was like, no, you're like a character actress. And so like, this part's much more of a character and you can really sink your teeth into it. And then that was kind of all she had to say. And then I loved it. Um, and then I went on to do like Annie at um, a theater that was, you know, 45 minutes away. So it felt like a big deal Ooh, to like yeah. drive there. Nice. And, and there were adults in the production. It wasn't like a kid's production. It was where we we're all aged appropriately. And um, we did Annie and um, I just played like Tessa, one of the orphans there, but, I loved it. I loved like bonding with the cast. I loved rehearsals. I loved learning the dances. I loved kind of not being good at the dances and then working really hard to become a lot better. And, um, and so I don't know, there was something about this, like striving, you're always striving in the arts. And so that I loved. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm sure that served you well ever since. Um, you know, did you find it hard to transition from stage to uh, to screen? Because I got to tell you, I was just asked to submit for a like B horror movie type thing. And um, I filmed for it. It was the first time I've ever been asked to do something TV. I, w- I was an extra on SNL once. But other than that, yeah, I don't, yeah, and I, I don't really count <laughs> that, you know. Um, but other than that, uh, I've never done like TV or film. And I did a self tape and I watched myself and I was like, I'm not even submitting this. This is an embarrassment because it was so no. big because it's just what you said. It's, it's just so different. It's can you so can talk big. about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. Um, the first time I had the exact same thing when I had done this, like, and it was a class where they would film you you would do your scene, they'd film you and then you'd watch it back and they, the teacher would kind of critique everything. Hmm. And I milked every single moment. <laughs> I mean that this character could possibly have been doing, I was there living in her life. And he was like, take it all away. And my response was like, but 
how will that be interesting? Like no one would want to watch this. And, um, and he was like, no, they do because a, a camera is literally this close to your head. So I um, took that to heart and really had to pull back and think everything I wanted to do or think what I was expressing instead of physically expressing it. And I had to put the energy elsewhere because it's not like that energy just disappears. And so a lot of times I'll like um, wiggle my toes or something like that because I do, <laughs> I am a like exuberant personality. So I do have like just a lot of energy. Um, and so I'm like, I have to hide that also because on TV and film, it just will not resonate. It will look crazy. Um yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, like I said, I've I've seen myself do it now, and I know it. It looks crazy. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I was I was auditioning for a role that I was supposed to be crazy, and I still was like, oh, that's no, that's that's the wrong kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, and and it's so interesting. Um, I it might have been perfect though for horror. Who knows? Because you never that's know fair. what direction they're gonna go in with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting because um. I used to live with like a family when I first moved out here also. And there, um, my friend, her name is Kieran and she did acting as well. And, um, Timothy Chalamet back before he was Timothy Chalamet would like come out too. And I remember when he came out with his first movie, call me by your name. I didn't realize it was him because I knew him in real life right. and he was, he was, he's larger than life. He's exuberant. He has a lot of energy. You're, you're drawn to him for that. But I just couldn't believe in my brain that he could stay still at all. <laughs> so I saw the movie and couldn't even process that it was him just because the kid was, he was so still. And I was like, that's what you have to almost do is find your inner like stillness. That's really cool. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, you started with TV, you know, fairly early. I, so one of my rules when I do interviews is I don't do a lot of research cause I want to hear it from you. Um, I love this. yeah. So like, tell me about what that was like. Cause you were basically like doing the thing I right can. away. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, it, it, I was very fortunate. And also I want to say that there was a lot of work behind it as well. Um, so I thought it's like as easy as like you move out to LA, there's this one audition building, you go to the one audition building and like everybody's just there and you could walk by and see Spielberg. That was my little <laughs> fantasy. Um, this is not the world. You're like in a car for hour and a half to go and do a five minute audition and then trek back and you have to, um, especially out in LA, you have to have like when you're not able to drive and things like that's easier with Uber, but um, your reliance upon someone really facilitating all of that. Um, and I remember my like first uh, a big audition that I was like very excited about was for a Nickelodeon show. Um, and it was like iCarly. And I remember it had like two lines and I practiced it so much and would be outside like practicing. It. Um, and then you go into just this tiny little room and I met the casting director and then left and then got a call back for it later. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. But then I didn't end up getting that part. But what I always say to like anybody who ever wants to break in, it's all about like making fans and not booking the part. Um, because if you continue to go in and present good work and they can rely on you as an actor, the casting directors will also want to continue to bring you back in until they find those roles that are right for you. Um, and so I started small, like I do contortions randomly. Um, and so I, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And like the first thing I think I ever booked was like girl with leg overhead or something where I like lifted my leg over my head like this. <laughs> and then like the fact that you around. just did that in an interview is amazing, by the way. That's just no stretching, <laughs> nothing. You're just like, boom, leg above okay. head. <laughs> I'm like, this is what I did. And this is who I was. And I'm going to go right there for you. <laughs> then I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so, but then being on set and all of that, I just loved it. So I worked hard to like, become SAG, SAG eligible, starting to put myself out there. I would like make people film me all the time if I didn't um, get an audition for a part. Like there was one like pilot I really wanted to audition for. And so I would continually every single day go to the casting office and drop off a video of myself doing (laughs) the the scene. (laughs) Nice. There's some persistence for you. That's awesome. Persistence for sure. But yeah. So what was the moment? What was the moment when you were like, holy crap, I am actually an actor in LA doing the thing? Oh, the moment. I would say I I had like a year where I was filming on Glee um, and then booked a pilot uh, the same year as like a series regular. And it was a John Levy pilot. So they they really, he did like ER and Shameless and a lot of the writers from Shameless came over. Um, and so we really thought like this pilot is for sure going to go. Um, and so it was kind of doing two big things, like right at the same time where I thought, I think I could do this. Like, I think this might be something that I could actually pursue instead of it just always being a dream and something I like really wanted to do. And that'd be so cool if I could figure out to something where I'm like, I think I understand the industry. I think this is, um, correct or like feels right right I guess. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. so cool yeah and and i mean glee like talk about a show that like took the world by storm by storm that was crazy what yes. was it like, like it was tell am- me about getting on glee and being there and and all of the the stuff because that was crazy <laughs> it was crazy like okay so i first auditioned to be like one of the main like five people way back when they were doing pilot auditions and who, it was who were you going funny. for I was going for um, either the Rachel Berry part um, and then her um, the friend, um, not the cheerleader, the other, oh, I don't remember her character name, um, but those two. Okay. And I remember, <laughs> I'm like, and the other girl whose name I can't remember, <laughs> I should do some Googling in a second. Um, <laughs> um, and I was sitting in my car, this is an embarrassing LA story, I was sitting in the car because you had to sing a song. And, um, and singing is not like, I would say acting, dancing, then maybe singing, like I can carry a tune, I can sing, but it's not what I would put my, you know, life on. Um, but I was sitting in the car practicing the song I had to sing and like drumming out on the steering wheel. And then this casting director, he, I didn't realize it was a casting director. Someone like pulled in the car beside, cause I was parked at Gelson's across the street from where the casting office was because in Los Angeles, they charge you for parking everywhere. Oh yeah, it's a nightmare. And it's a nightmare. And so I get, I'm a nervous Nelly. And when you go into auditions, you never know if you're going to be in there for like 10 minutes or two hours. It depends on how many people are like in the waiting room, if they keep you longer. So I always try and find like free, safe parking. So here I am at Gelson's practicing. A car pulls in beside me. is like staring at me, like like giving thumbs up. Great, great, great. He leaves. And then I go um, wait in there a little bit longer, walk in, and it's the same person. And I was like, oh my God, they literally, 
<laughs> he literally just saw me like rocking out in the car. And he's like, I know you. Um, but then ever since I had that audition, I knew the show was just going to be amazing. Um, and I loved the concept of it coming from the Midwest and where like theater and all of that isn't always put in the like um, forefront. It They definitely love sports. It's changing or altering, but um it, 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 it felt true. And, um, and so then I, anytime there was like a, an audition or role, I wanted to like go in for it. And so I went in for this character, like Liz Schneider, who had this whole monologue about, um, an egg salad odor or something that I had <laughs> something bizarre. And I loved it. And it was a moment of like stillness because I didn't go in there and do anything. I was just like very still and matter of fact and believing that I had this horrible egg salad odor. Um, and and then when they called later and I booked it, I was like, oh my God, I was so excited. Um, and then it was an interesting story in the industry where you have to also welcome the give and take because I did a couple episodes as that character, but then did the pilot at the same time. And then, um, and then they wanted to, uh, they had to recast my part on Glee because the pilot conflicted with like the glee thing so it's very interesting how things oh yeah I, I find i find the entertainment industry to be so weird like i um almost seven years ago now i was up for a national tour of million dollar quartet it's what launched me into all of that and i was also uh offered um uh the buddy holly story which buddy holly is one of my favorite yeah. artists and yeah i i literally i I, I wanted to do Buddy, but MDQ was longer. It's a newer mm-hmm. show that I knew that after that tour, they were going to open up the rights to do it regionally and stuff. And I was like, there's more opportunity there. And um, mm-hmm. it just so turned out that in that first tour, not only did it work out for me, but um, then due to some kind of weird circumstances, you know, sometimes the people in our industry uh, make bad choices. Um, and yeah. I ended up being uh, what was called the music captain at the time, which was kind of like the music director for that tour. Um, and I had never done anything like that before, but they thought I was the best dude already on the tour for it. And so then I started music directing and then I started music supervising and arranging. And like, I've done all these things most of my life was based on that one decision. But at the time, all I could think was, oh, I really want to go do Buddy. I'm do really, yeah. am I doing the right thing? And yep. turned yep. out I was in that case, <laughs> you know. I know. I find that so interesting because, yeah, it is where life kind of presents a couple of options. And then there's the one you, like, are really wanting and pining for. And then the one that the universe kind of directs you into. And <laughs> yes. you're like, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So you seem like a really positive person. And I'm going to go out on a limb. We've we've not discussed anything, but um, uh, you seem like the type who would like, I mean, it's not like we did a pre-interview, you know? Um, That's true. And so what, what, it, you seem like the type of person who would, you know, care about the world and and people and and not just yourself. Um, actors tend to have an ego, uh, you know, sometimes earned, sometimes not. But that is the reputation that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really curious because this is something I think about a lot. And so I don't even know how well to phrase this, but or the best way to phrase this, but um, why is what you do and what, what we do as entertainers important in a world where everything seems completely screwed up? Honestly, this is a great question because I think about it a lot and vacillate back and forth. I'm like, it's not important in the sense like you're not a doctor saving the world, especially through COVID um, when there are so many things you could do as a frontline worker and the entertainment industry just it, it is not that um, we are not saving lives. 
And, and so I struggle with that because I am someone who like true, I really do like I care. So especially in like the world that we're living in now, there's just a lot happening. Um, And so I, I, I genuinely like do care. It's like one of the things in like Better Call Saul where I like give the money back to him or something in one of the scenes. They'd be like, oh, that's so nice. I'm like, no, no, I would do that in real life. Like I would notice that this was not correct and want to write it. Um, and the thing that allows me to like, okay, there is like a universe where acting can be helpful in a different capacity are like two things. Um, one, through COVID, the joy that people were able to get um, through television and consuming um, um TV, films, um, shorts, people like putting content out there, just if it can even like brighten someone's mood for a day, that can make a difference. I just recently listened to like Reese Witherspoon in a podcast where she was talking about playing Elle Woods and how that showed a lot of girls that they could actually go on to Harvard and become a lawyer and actually make a difference in the world and by following the path. So sure, she herself is not really a lawyer, but it then did pave a way for others to see that that was an option. And then my other thing um, is the platform that you can get. Like I long to like have enough of like a platform and like means to be able to start like nonprofits and organizations and not because I don't need a lot of the human like I don't need houses like there's no need for that but I would really want to like um utilize like that the platform that you can attain from like acting and having a name that people maybe recognize to do good and to try and you know um help even though I've had to get over the fact that like Unfortunately, I can't like change the whole world and like solve all the problems, but I, I, at little pockets, I feel like you can, and it is those little pockets that will promote bigger change. Awesome. I love that. (laughs) Very cool. Um, all right. So let's get to better call Saul. I am so excited. Uh, I'm such a nerd about this show. Um, and I just, I, I can't believe it's ending. I'm, I'm sad and excited and all the things. Um, so right now, tell my listeners how it ends. <laughs> so how it ends is, no, then I'll be booted. <laughs> Whoa, wait, she just got tackled. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> they literally have Secret Service following me everywhere. <laughs> no, but so tell me, okay, first of all, were you a Breaking Bad fan? Yes. Okay. I was. Okay. Yes. So late t- in the game, but yes. Fair. Yes. Same actually. I got into it right before the last season and binged it and all that stuff. And okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. Um, so how did you get Better Call Saul? Better call. I know, I, I can't not say it that way. Better call Saul is brilliant. Um, okay. So already in season two, and this I had speaking of making fans of casting, um, Bialy Thomas is the casting office that um casts better call Saul, and um i had auditioned for lie to me a show that they also cast a few years earlier so i already knew russell the casting assistant there and um he would call me in whenever parts felt like within the universe of being um something i could book um or write and so i i went in and the sides were like dummy sides so um I didn't know that I was speaking with Bob. I didn't know who I was interacting with. Oh my God. Yeah. I had literally no idea. So I like knew that it was this show, but it was like a spin, a breaking bad spinoff. Is this what they were like phrasing it as? And then all like dummy characters. 
And so he had me do it like so many different ways because it shoots in New Mexico and the production team was there. So I had to film it at an office in Los Angeles. And he was like, try it this way, try it that way, try it this way, try it that way. And so we did. And, um, and then he sent in the tape and I found out like the next day I ended up booking it. So, which was crazy because typically it's like you go in, you do a, a pre-audition if they like your tape then you go and you meet with producers and directors and then if they move you forward from that like they're like okay the network now has to it's like a whole step process right um so you're on pins and needles the whole time but this um was a very quick turnaround and by that monday i was flying out to new mexico (laughs) um yeah but still having kind of no clue what I was doing um <laughs> because the show in and of itself is so secretive right um and they're they just want to make sure nothing gets out, so they also keep us like kind of hidden and like even on the first day there, like Vince came up and he like sat down and he was talking to me, just like he's I can't say enough kind things about like Vince and Peter. It really I believe starts from like the top and like trickles down. And even Bob, like just the most stand-up humans, they really care for all the cast and crew. Like even if you're a stand-in, you're going to get all the same rap gifts that everybody else got. Oh, wow. It's just really like a sweet family. Like that's what I always equated it to. Um, and so then when I showed up on set, we filmed that whole American flag scene where we were at the school <laughs> and doing all of that. And like I did wardrobe and it was so fun. And that's where they like decided to do the um, beret and make that part of the character and then the makeup pouch that i wear is from one of the actual like makeup um uh people that's that so cool. um, better call Saul. yeah so it was like <laughs> really cool <laughs> also i have to interrupt for one second just to tell you that i'm like i don't know it's this is obviously what i should expect but you're just going vince Peter, like they're your friends. I can't say better call Saul without doing a dorky voice because I'm such a nerd. And you're just like, yeah, my buddy Vince, my buddy Peter. Oh, yeah, Bob, you know, that Bob guy, you know. Yeah, it's it's just that's just so cool to hear like that you have such a connection with these people that are so legendary. And that as a fan of the show, I'm sure you were like, you know, holy shit. And now it's just, oh, this is this is Vince. Yes. Yeah. And like, they definitely carry weight and they, you, they walk around and like, important. Um, however, Bob, I feel like he really took us under his wing and like, it was really fun because whenever we would show up on set, it was like, um, cause he came from such an SNL background. Yes. We got to play and that's truly what it felt like is a lot of times we get to improv lines. Oh my um, they let us go off script. They let us like try things out as a character, which I have to say as an actor, it was such a gift because we really did get to explore the universe that these three characters who are just UNM students come in and like, um, and I love that they keep us out of the world that we have no idea what Bob or, you know, what Jimmy's actually doing (laughs) with any of these like gimmicks that we're doing. So it's, it's really fun, but um, no. And I, for like Bob, for instance, I feel like, as a series regular on a show, you have a lot of power and weight and you can use that for good or like to convenience. And I'll, and he will be there even if he's not even in frame and it's just a voiceover of him. Bob is there saying like every line because he truly cares and wants to get like the best performance from everybody. So well, and that's not cool. common, right? Normally you no, have uh, coverage absolutely for that, not. right? Yeah. Yeah. 
usually stereotypically if it's like a voiceover part you have somebody just like say it like a stand-in and the other actor who the camera's on so for instance if he's giving like a monologue and we're on the receiving end and it's not his coverage he would be there every single line saying it over and over because he wanted from us to be able to actually get genuine monologues and he changes up his delivery every single time it's like (laughs) he's just amazing um and that isn't normally you would get some stand-in who doesn't really know you know not that not actually i should not say that not to like speak down to like a stand-in because you do have to start somewhere but someone who maybe hasn't spent the time molding the character like right of course well and bob's known Um, for like rehearsing with with ray and patrick at the house that they would rent and everything like Mm -hmm. yeah you're right it's nothing against stand-ins and and you know i know that i'm sure everyone listening knows that but you're not getting the same reaction the same voice the same understanding of the Mm -hmm. character as you will from bob freaking odenkirk because he's bob odenkirk yeah yeah it's Bob Odenkirk. And you're correct. They do. Um, they all lived in a house together. And then Bob ended up buying a house there. And he had like a housewarming party we all got to go ah, to. And so like, cool. yeah, it's so cool. But they would all the time, like especially Ray and Bob would um, hammer through those scenes and practice back and forth to just truly make them amazing. That's awesome. Can yeah. you give an example, like a memory of a time that 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 you got to play with Bob and like, you know, I know you won't remember exact lines or whatever, but just just explain to my audience, you know, who doesn't do this as much, what that is like. Sure. Even from the first day I arrived, because typically in acting, the you must say the lines as written in the script. And there is a script supervisor who's there to make sure every B and thing is hit correctly and the first day that i was there on set so you memorize your lines as is and you memorize the blocking the way it's supposed to be and bob was like oh i just don't i don't think this is working um this wouldn't make sense let's all like let's play around with it and so in the first scene i'm putting like makeup on him and um and the funny thing is, is makeup is not my specialty. So it was very fun that like I got to play a character who is like very skilled at makeup. And um, I myself was really just flying by the seat of my pants. Um, <laughs> however, Bob was then um, not direct in a way, but definitely say, oh, I think it'd be funny if we tried this or, you know, you guys. And then that would give us the confidence to also come forth with like ideas. Uh, there was one where we're getting in the car with him um, and he screeches up before we get on the bus. And there was a lot of gimmicks with like the the sound guy pulled and trying to get in the car. And that logistically came from the fact where we were trying to do it and we're like, this won't work. And then we were like, let's make it a comedic bit. And then we all kind of got involved in the like, okay, we're running around and it's this and it's down and it's under. And it's kind of like that that's awesome that's so cool okay so the first time that you had that moment and you're sitting there with bob and you're like you know he's he's kind of a known entity kind of um were you confident the first time that you improvised something did you want to vomit all over him or were you just like you know you've been acting your whole life so is it just you were like yeah doing my job you know i bob has such a presence um, about him. And I think that's because he has worked and come up through the industry. He's so smart. So there is this bit of, um, um, you want to show up for Bob and like, feel like you're presenting well. So yes, a little bit of like, is this real life, um, kind of complex happening? And then equally, um, 
oh, I hope these land. Like, I hope if I say something, it lands well, because you know instantly also if with the team, if like something you're saying or doing isn't working. It's a very vocal set. That's why I consider it like a family is we're all, we will definitely talk through something that is not working and try and get to the bottom as to how we can make it work. Um, and so, yes, I remember I felt like I made it. And um, <laughs> it just took a long time to, for me to feel that in like season six, we were oh, doing wow, that yeah. like, it's a while. <laughs> yeah, the while, a while. I mean, I think I like, felt comfy and confident and like able to do it but where I felt like okay this world that's like really um landed is we've got to we were doing the mustaches and then Bob um and Ray they exited and he was like all right 10 minutes and then I ad-libbed the thank you 10 and then just because I came from theater yes I I remember that moment I was like yes that was such a good moment for me that's awesome that you ad-libbed that that's awesome (laughs) yeah. And so then I like threw that in and then he came back clapping and he was like, that was funny. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I like this. Oh, wow. And, and so for me, then that felt like, okay, we can, I can now talk to Bob and feel like, like, okay, I, I'm allowed to be in his presence. <laughs> even though he, he's like so good. Um, but yes, yes. And then John Ennis, who was there, is like one of Bob's besties. Like they did uh, Mr. Show together yes. a long time ago. And so it was really cool because every season they were like, let's get John on. How can we get John on and like find a role for him? And so it was so fun to riff with John. Because he's like just ready to like spitfire, and so am I. Like as much as you'll give me like room to play, I will take it, and so that was fun too. Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay, so Bob is obviously amazing, but he's amazing. What, Ray, talk to me about Ray, and how the <sighs> hell is she not the most famous woman in Hollywood ever? I, I, I don't understand. No, I think of it all the time. All the time. A, Ray's ability to like remember everything because we would fly in and out, like maybe do like two or three episodes a season. And she would always know like, hey, Haley, oh my gosh. Like we would talk about her whole career. Like she has the, like just the laundry of like hilarious stories of like plays she's done or things she's been involved in. And like, oh, like, I, I don't know that she would mind if I, she like did some like um, pilot her first pilot and she also came from like a theater background so she didn't understand in like a multi-cam pilot that even you don't do the show start to finish you still like do little scenes and that they were doing like a network review and that she like ran to the other set like did the scene ran to the other set took off her clo- <laughs> like got on the other clothes and those like ready and was like why is nobody lighting this and I was like oh my gosh um <laughs> um she's amazing and like she also has like just such a magnetic energy she they she cares so much she'll sit with you and like talk with you about life about the show um we got to go over and have like brunches at their house and like just feel really a part of and um and her talent is just amazing because she can flip like so fast and it was also fun to see she's such a boss like she can tell you she's not afraid to speak up she's really strong about like her opinions as to how something should go and it was great to see that and also learn that because there's a lot of times I feel like as an actor you think you should just sit back and um and wait for a director or somebody to tell you what to do but you can actually be a lot more proactive as to how you should navigate it so 
Oh my God. She, I love Ray. She's the best. <laughs> That's and I'm awesome. so excited she finally got an Emmy nomination. I know. Like, how how uh, not every seat? I don't. Yeah. Oh. Uh, amazing. And I was like so happy for her because she works hard but loves it too. It's, uh, yeah. So cool. <laughs> so very cool. Um, that's that's great. What is your favorite, uh, you know, on set moment can be on camera or not from Better Call Saul? I still can't not do it. I'm not doing that intentionally. I Better swear to God. Saw. Every time it comes out, I'm just like, oh, John. Oh, such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love you. Better call so. <laughs> um, Okay. I think I have. Can I tell you two? Oh, heck yeah. Okay. Um, one of my favorites is from the last like episode. Um, the one. Well, it wasn't the last, but like right before the break when we did the elf episode where I was an elf because we shot the whole thing like it's one take and I hadn't ever shot something where we were stitching a scene together and that in and of itself just from like a film like study perspective was so interesting because we had to do a rehearsal we had to make sure that everything was like aligned perfectly and then the duct tape we just could never get right to like put around the like cast and everything and try and make that work and so it was like fun watching all of us in like the beating hot sun because it's new mexico and um we were just outside all day running around on an active college campus so then you'd have college students just walking by Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just dressed like so. Well, I'm in an elf costume, right. so, like, and why were you like? How did you find out? I, I want to hear your second story, but first, how did you find out you're going to be in an elf costume? Were you like, why the hell am I in an elf costume? Or are you just like, I'm going with it? Uh, no, yeah, it came as like, okay, so we think for the next episode we're going to fly you out and you're going to have a fitting, and I was like, okay, you get fittings all the time um, for ears. Okay. <laughs> Okay, sounds great for sure. Um, and then uh, I show up and I was like, elf ears, what, what's happening? <laughs> and, um, and, and then it was so crazy because it was like a whole team that got together, like hair and makeup, did like the wig and then the elf ears um, be, so I could become Kira the Gelfling. And they had said, um, I think Tom had said this because Tom been Tom really like took us under his wing and like um Thomas Schnauz, the yes, writer. Yes, yeah. Um Tom's he like insane. took us insane. Uh, seriously, yeah. Uh, his brain, his ability to hold knowledge and know something, and also how he can his foresight to be able to curate all these seasons and be able to make every little finite detail is important to make sense. They had said that he um thought ever since they saw me that I looked like Kira the Gelfling. Um, and so they were trying to find a time where it would work <laughs> in order to have me in that um, that costume and and to be able to just do that. And now I really want to do like a, um, I want to do the live action musical like it's Kira the Gelfling. Yes. I just want to explore that whole world. Um, and it was awesome because then I learned about who she was and what the whole encounter was. So yeah, that was really fun. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John. Mm. 
For those of you who don't know, Kira the Gelfling is a character that appears in the Dark Crystal, which is a um, fantasy movie that was directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz and uses a lot of their cool puppetry type stuff. Uh, I also just really appreciate the fact that Haley just correctly assumed that I would know exactly who she was talking about, because even though we haven't talked much, we've already established that I am a huge nerd. Anyway, back to the interview. That's amazing. Okay, now tell me your second story. Okay, um, the second one. Actually, I don't even, I never don't remember this. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted, but I got really excited about the elf no, thing. No, <laughs> no, the elf thing was amazing. The elf thing was like fantastic. Oh, there is one where at one season I had had wrist surgery. I like fell off a hoverboard Ooh. and had to get, um, I don't know, like a whole wrench in my wrist. And then like two days after the surgery, I had to go fly to New Mexico to film. And so I have like a bum hand the whole time because my I couldn't move my hands at all. And so they just like had to hide the whole like cast and everything. Um, it was very interesting. It's funny what you can do with like movie magic. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't really remember cool. what my second story was. So <laughs> if it if it comes back to me, I'll tell you. I ruined it. I feel bad, but I was what? so excited don't. about the elf thing. I mean, come on. I remember when you popped up on the screen and I, I just I went what? <laughs> like I was laughing. Like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> And just vines coming out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh wow. So um what uh what's next? What's coming up? I know. So much. I mean, the sky is the limit now. It's been fun. Um, I'd say like closing out this season. And then we did those trading videos, which has been quite exciting also. And then a friend and I we wrote a show that um all about I also was like what when I first moved out here, um, a few years later, worked at like a children's musical theater school. And so we wrote a show kind of based off of that because it's a very interesting universe where like Charlize Theron sends her kids there. And so you can just be like patting a beat and have Charlize like sitting right behind you. So like the comedy universe that that whole world ensues. And then, um, and I've been interested in like writing, directing, and had to kind of get my feet wet in that capacity. And then just busy auditioning. Um, nothing like solidified or nailed down exactly, but stay tuned. Nice. Of course. Yeah. And okay, so I'm really curious. I haven't even told my audience this yet, um, but I guess this is as good of a place to mention it as anything. But um I actually, uh, I wrote a script, uh, for a show, uh, like a stage show. Um, and, uh, it got shopped around and I got a development deal and I'm now actively writing and putting together a book for my first show. And yes, it is the scariest, hardest thing in the world because Ever. like, okay. So I've done a lot of like music arranging and I've done a lot of like reorganizing like getting into a script and changing things or finding how we can make it you know maybe a little less sexist a little more inclusive or just a little more cohesive but like right. when there's nothing when you have a blank piece of paper and then you have to have i, I have i've started it i have three different intros to the show right now because i don't i just no one's telling me how to start it start it yeah, yeah. and yeah. it matters and you're not it does matter well, in the pilot matters because that's what we're writing. It's a TV show. And what someone gave me the advice from is like the ER. Um, you have to go through the lens of Noah is like, why today? Like, why are you starting today? Why is that impactful? And then something the audience can attach to. So they'll stay for like another episode. But that was the same thing. Like we filmed a, um, 
a few years right before COVID, we filmed a um, like a mock of it, kind of what we were going to do or hoping for just to get investors involved. And um, it was very, very like hard because, and just taxing, but fun at the same time because our director, um, it was actually really sad. She was at Sundance and was going to fly out because we filmed it in Atlanta um, to direct and then had a brain aneurysm. Ooh. She's okay. Oh, she's totally fine. Good. Yeah, she's fine. She was like a survivor story. Like it's all okay. But at the time that was really scary and we weren't sure if we should push it because obviously health comes first above anything. Um, but then we just went on and my friend Bryn and I just directed it together Um which neither of us had really directed anything like that. So it was, it was really fun. It's really that um, you just have to jump in and get your feet wet yeah. and just pick an opening because honestly, whatever you choose, it will be right. And if it's not, there will be someone along the line that will tell you <laughs> <laughs> like that you should change this one part. Yeah. Okay. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. Yeah. I, I, I've <laughs> actually found, I, I got, um, I don't, I don't really get like stuck in life. I kind of just keep moving. Like, you know, you said, mm -hmm. and I, I found myself so stuck. Luckily my music assistant keeps coming to me and being like, Hey, I'm ready for the next song. Like, what are we doing? What are we working? And I'm like, well, I guess I got to do something. Here. <laughs> it's yeah, you, nice have, you need pushed. the pusher. Yeah. And yeah normally, you have I, to have the pusher. normally I don't, but just, I don't know, a blank piece of paper might be the scariest thing in the world. I used to think it was spiders and now I got over that fear and now it's a blank piece of paper. Who knew? I, I get that though. I admire like it is because you're like, this could go in so many different directions. What direction should I take it in? Mm. Um, so you write music also? Well, so uh, I do write music. Um, and uh, That's so th th cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. This show is actually um, a tribute to uh, Sun Records, the, the rockabilly group. So Elvis, Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, all these guys. So mm -hmm. the music is established, but I still do my own arrangements. I want it to be something at least a little different than whatever anyone has heard before because otherwise- yeah. Come see my show. You can just go listen to an album, um, you know. And I have some fun ideas where, like, we'll be trading instruments and doing some cool. So I, I have some hooks, you know. Um, but yeah, I do, I do, I do write music and and have a, a buddy of mine that I do a lot of work with, um, who's a pianist, and uh, we work together. If you ever need any scoring for your new television show, <laughs> I mean, good to know. Thank you for the pitch. I will definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. That is so cool. I find writing music so fascinating. It uses such a different um, part of the brain. So claps to you. That's well, thank you. Exciting. Yeah, I think it's so You're interesting. Welcome. I think the one thing that I've learned in this industry, um, maybe way too late, but but I'm doing it now, is that you just have to jump in and do trust it. yourself and do it. And like like I said, I was a drummer. That was my goal was to be a touring drummer. And then I became a touring drummer. And I literally remember sitting on stage the opening night of my first national tour and thinking, huh. What next? This is the thing. And I haven't thought about beyond the thing. Like, yeah, what next? Mm -hmm. But then in the ensuing years, I became a music director, music supervisor, arranger. Now I'm writing a show. I'm also co-producer on the show. So I'm learning about that and budgeting and all the things. And like you said, you just uh -huh. went and you were like, I'm directing this now. Cool. And I think that's yep. awesome. And you might end up being a director. You never know. Like, you know. Uh yeah, no, I would love that. Um, it was really fun because I I enjoy the whole picture of the industry. Mm -hmm. And it truly came from somebody I was taking classes at SMC, um, just film classes. And one of the teachers, he told me, he was like, well, fortune favors the bold. And so I was like, well, you just have to be bold, strong and wrong, even if you're <laughs> trying it and it's not exactly going the way you're like, well, at least I tried because you never know what that might be jump off 
to do. Mm-hmm. They're one of my favorite things that I remind myself, especially when I make mistakes on stage, um, is that some of the most famous, especially drum parts, but there are, there are guitar parts and stuff as well in, in all of recorded history, um, were mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there, there's one that, uh, was in the Carl Perkins tune matchbox that I get to play every time I do my show. And every time I think about it and I'm like, this was wrong. And here I am 50 years later replicating it every night because I would never not play it because it's so good. Uh, there's right. a, there's a symbol hit in one of uh, Miles Davis's tunes that, um, the drummer almost stopped recording like the whole session because he thought it was too loud. He thought it would feed back and cause problems with the mics. And it did, but in a really cool way. That is like, if you're a jazz fan, you know that you know what I'm talking about right now, you know, and uh-huh. it's on the album Kind of Blue, which is the best selling jazz album of all times. And there's this mistake on it that is defining and and drummers have learned and built around it. And we all do mm-hmm. those hits intentionally. Mm-hmm. Now. <laughs> and it's it's insane, you know, all from mistakes and just, you know, like you said, loud, proud and strong and wrong. <laughs> strong and wrong, loud and proud, strong and wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I find that story very fascinating because there are so many times that people um especially in the arts that they like stop because it's like it's not perfect but i think that's why i love the arts is there's no there is no perfect it's all slightly subjective and there is like these beautiful mistakes that actually turn out to be genius so Mm, yeah and most of the time audiences are with you like if you make a big enough mistake where they know it they also get that it's a live performance and that they're getting something special and as long mm-hmm. as you're not an idiot about it, uh, then then they can actually be on your side for it, you know, which is cool. Absolutely. But it yeah, is scary I, in that moment. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very scary. And like, I even just went to a show where um, it was like the last night of their tour and the female singer, she had lost her voice and she just owned it. She was like, I've lost my voice. So I'm going to have you guys sing along with some of it. And I was like, that's beautiful because we still had a great time. It didn't matter. We know she can sing, but today just wasn't her day (laughs) and that's okay absolutely very cool um is there anything else that you want to share about uh your career or or better call Saul hey I said it without being weird or uh you know you you were never weird I like I like (laughs) um I think we I think we covered it in a nice little package yeah I did hear that there was tell of a poop story poop story Um, yeah, I did think of a poop story. Poop story. All right. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. I was in like fourth or fifth grade. Um, I think it was the summer of those. And I was going off onto like a six hour car ride with um all of my friends and we we're gonna go to like king's island or something um for someone's birthday and so but right before we left we like ran into my other friend's house to like grab her um her sleeping gear and all of that stuff and then ran back we all shut the car and we're in the car and 10 minutes in someone's like do you guys smell it smells like poop somewhere i'm like no oh my god it does it smelled like so much poop and i was like yeah who has poop on their shoes no one does so everyone's checking no no no. i don't i must not have done like a good job checking i was clearly like oh possibly could it be me so the whole six hour (laughs) car ride i had literally like stepped in a really lovely amount of like poop um And so I was the culprit. And not only had I stepped in it because I had taken my shoes off. So I was just spreading it all throughout (laughs) the car. 
so like as the drive was continuing it was like getting more and more abundant for everybody and we're just in this tiny car driving for six hours of fresh poop all around <laughs> it was great <laughs> and that's why she had to go to hollywood because she had no more friends back home yeah <laughs> I had no more friends back home i had scarred everyone for life. i do awesome. like there is like a random um um like i I don't know why. Like, I think poop stories poop story. are always so funny. And it's like so interesting because it's one of those things is like little kids. You just mention poop and they think it's like the most hilarious thing ever. So it's like, I love a good poop story. Poop story. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is literally I try to end every episode with one. And um, when I first started kind of doing it, I was like, am I being too childish? Because I can be childish. <laughs> um, but no. And people love it. And I even have like a merch that says like, what's your poop story? Poop story. On it. And it's it's a whole thing. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. When I you listen it. back to the episode, um, there's a theme song for it, too, that will play before you tell your story that I wrote. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You got poop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That if you listen to that, you might not ever want me to compose anything for your shows, but you know, it's fun. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I could be like, you know what? I know I'm gonna write a whole musical off of this poop song. <laughs> In the vein of Book of Mormon. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been a blast. Of course. It's been so lovely to meet you as well. You're on the East Coast, right? I'm on the East Coast, yes. Um, I will be in California in September. Um, yeah, we're playing. I'm doing a show up, I think, like near San Fran. But then I think a buddy and I are coming down to L.A. and uh, I'm heading to San Diego as well for a little bit. So uh, I'll let you oh know gosh. when I'm around. We should grab dinner or something. Hang out. Please do. Yeah. Yes. I would love to come see your show as well. Awesome. All the things. That yeah. sounds so fun. Love it so much. So fun. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Of course. Have a good rest of your day and make a choice. You, you're going to be great. I'm Thanks. sure whatever you're producing will be awesome. <laughs> I appreciate you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. And uh, I have to tell y'all, so I I really took Haley's advice to heart. And um, on my next writing session, I thought about what she said. And I reminded myself that I just needed to do the thing and trust myself. And uh, suddenly my writer's block disappeared. And in one little session, I got nine pages of script written and uh, with, with much more to come. So uh, I'm eternally grateful to Haley for helping me break through that whatever that was and uh and encouraged me to just do it so i did yay thank you for that Haley. and um if you would like to check out Haley on instagram uh she can be found at Haley s holmes and uh also make sure that you're watching better call saul because it is a freaking amazing television show easily my favorite on tv right now and it's quickly coming to a conclusion that uh i'll tell you what this last season has been something else y'all um yeah so i hope y'all enjoyed this please let me know if you did or didn't i suppose but mostly if you did because i have a fragile actor's ego no i'm kidding but yeah let me know what you think about the non-animal occasional bonus episode idea because i think it's a lot of fun and remember friends the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. 
interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.